many years ago <clears throat> when someone would knock on your door from a denomination and they found out that you were from the Church of Christ, they were ready to go. They were ready to leave. I don't mean they were ready to discuss the Bible. They were ready to leave your front door and get back in their car or go on up the road somewhere else. And that was because they knew that members of the church knew their Bible. They knew book, chapter, and verse. And they weren't going to listen to something that was false because they knew the truth. In fact, it was not unusual, or it never it really did not happen, where people would actually leave the church. And by that I mean, I don't mean that uh, people didn't fall away. But what I mean by that is there was a time when people did fall away, but they would not join any other denomination. They would not start visiting or associating or place their membership at a denomination. Why? Because they knew that the church taught the truth and that the denomination that they, may, uh, that, they, that they were being tempted to join or people were trying to encourage them to be a part of, they knew that it did not teach the truth and so they would not be a part of it. They still fell away and they became unfaithful to the Lord, but they would not be a part of a denomination. That's not so much true today. Because you hear of people that are members of the church that go out and they start attending a denomination. I want to read what Alan Hires said back in 1994 in The Spiritual Sword. Because I, re I want us to realize that there is something about the church that makes us distinctive. And it's important that we preach the distinctiveness of the church. That we are different from the world. That we're different from the religious world. And if we are a part of the religious world and we're just like any other denomination, then we need to turn the lights off, lock the doors, and go home and just be a part of that denomination. We need to be a part of the church. We need to teach people the truth of God's Word. But this is what he wrote. Some time ago, a preacher editor said to me, our young people are not buying the old arguments against instrumental music. I replied, no, our young people are not hearing the old arguments against instrumental music. Some of them are soft on the issue of instrumental music, not because they have rejected what they've been taught, but because they have never been taught at all. They do not understand the principles involved. They have never heard the old arguments relating to Bible authority, speaking where the Bible speaks and remaining silent where the Bible is silent. They have grown up in socialized churches where the youth programs are strong, but the teaching programs are weak. They have majored in minors and minored on majors. They studied Bible school material that never dealt with the distinctive differences from the denominationalism because the literature was produced by the denominational publishers in the first place and merely adapted for the brotherhood uh, they were never exposed to the book, chapter, and verse preaching, and some of them grew, grew up on a style of preaching in which the favorite text was, what is wrong with the church? The old preachers and old ways and old message so dear to many of us because of them became to them an object of scorn and laughter as they were incited to mirth by a new breed of preachers and youth specialists. Is it any wonder that some have abandoned the church 
of our day. Then I found this other interesting article, which was found in the Baptist Messenger, but maybe it's true of some of our preachers today. It says, We have raised a generation of sissy preachers. Nobody, it seems, is preaching that the Word of God is the Word of God and that hell is hot. God has not called us to be ambassadors of goodwill. He's called us to be ambassadors of God's will. Now, you know I don't agree with the Baptist doctrine that there's a lot of false teaching there. But sometimes people do state the truth even when they're in a denomination. And sometimes people aren't hearing the distinctiveness of the church in the Lord's church. And that's why you see in some of the congregations that women are starting to get up and participate in the leadership roles. That's why you hear that there's instrumental music being introduced in some of the congregations of the Lord's people. And you see various changes that take place in congregations that the Bible does not give us the author, uh, the authority to institute. The Bible tells us in, Hebrew, in uh, Hosea chapter 4 and verse 6, My people are destroyed for a lack of knowledge because they have rejected knowledge. We need to realize that God's Word is the standard. That God's Word is what we need. That God's Word is what we need to listen to. And yes, I have preached God's Word or have strove to preach God's Word. And I've had people say, you worship the Bible. You don't worship God, you worship the Bible. And I say, I would not even know who God is if it wasn't for this book. I would not know how to live my life if it was not for this book. I wouldn't know what to do to be saved if it wasn't for this book. I wouldn't know who Jesus is without this book. I wouldn't know my purpose in this life without this book. I could go on and on and on, and I think that we can see the importance of God's Word and why without a knowledge of God and without a knowledge of His Word that we are going to fall away. In Isaiah chapter 5 and verse 13, Therefore my people are gone into captivity because they have no knowledge and their honorable men are famished and their multitude dried up with thirst. Because of a lack of knowledge, many times we're given over to sin and captivated by false teaching. Listen to what Jeremiah says in Jeremiah chapter 5, beginning of verse 26. For among my people are found wicked men. They lay wait as he that setteth snares. They set a trap. They catch men. As a cage is full of birds, so are their houses full of deceit. Therefore they are become great and waxen rich. They are waxen fat. They shine. Yea, they overpass the deeds of the wicked. They judge not the cause, the cause of the fatherless. Yet they prosper, and the right of the needy to do, or do they not judge? Shall I not visit for these things, saith the Lord? Shall not my soul be avenged on such a nation as this? A wonderful and horrible thing is committed in the land. The prophets prophesy falsely, and the priests bear rule by their means, and my people love to have it so. And what will ye do in the end thereof? How many of us know the truth to the point where we could stand up against false teaching? That we see it and know it when we hear it. And we will stand opposed to it. 
How many of us know the Bible well enough that we can stand up and tell someone what the truth is, what they need to do in order to be saved? All of those things are important in our lives. And it's important that we understand why we worship the way we worship. Why we do what we do. And God has given us those reasons. And the main reason is because God has told us to do it that way. Or shown us that we are to do it that way. As we've been studying on our Sunday, in our Sunday morning Bible class, we looked at God's authority and sometimes He gives us commands that tells us what we are to do, how we are to do it, when we are to do it. But also there are times that we have examples. And those examples are binding because it shows us what was acceptable at that particular time. And so there's a lot of things that we need to understand about God's Word. And I, just, I want to say, I'm not going to put it all on preachers. I know we have a great responsibility to, to teach God's Word, but I'm not putting it all on preachers. Moms and dads have a responsibility also in this. Moms and dads need to teach their children why we do what we do. And if they don't know why they do it, then they need to get in God's Word and study it and understand it for themselves. And if they need help in that area, Bible class is a great place to be. Don't wait till people start leaving the church to say, oh no, what are we going to do? My people perish or destroyed because of a lack of knowledge. That knowledge has to come from God's Word. And when we fail to, or we become captivated by false teaching, it's not unusual that we reject the law of God. I think that we have something in our world today that many did not have back in the 70s and 80s, and that's the Internet. And I believe that that's a detriment many times to the church. Because many times people without knowledge go on some website and they look up something and they hear what, that, or what somebody has said that claims to be a theologian, that claims to know what the Bible says, and they just spread false teaching. I know it happens. Because I've had people say, well, I was on the internet and this is what it said. And it's contrary to what the Bible teaches. And so we need to be careful because we realize we don't want to reject God's Word. Isaiah chapter 30, verses 9-11 through 11, that this is a rebellious people, lying children, children that will not hear the law of the Lord, which say to the seers, See not, and to the prophets prophesy not unto us right things, speak unto us smooth things, prophesy deceit, get you out of the way, turn aside out of the path, because the Holy One of Israel is ceased from before us. You see, today people don't always want to hear the truth. And sometimes God's people does not want to hear the truth. We don't want to hear what we need to do. Talk about hearing that hell is hot. There are some people in the brotherhood that want to take the fire out of hell. Brethren, Jesus talked about there would be weeping and gnashing of teeth. He talked about it would be outer darkness. It does not sound like a place anyone would want to go to. And to stand up here and make it sound terrible and, and awful, that is the truth of God's Word. It's not a place anyone should want to go to. And heaven is just as great in the opposite direction of the bliss and happiness and joy that will take place there. 
But because we may not like or we're not comfortable with the subject of hell or sin does not mean that it isn't real. And don't take joy in saying don't speak on that subject or I'm not going to listen. You see, we may not sit out and listen and say, oh, I don't want to hear that and plug our ears. But sometimes we plug our ears because we're not going to listen to what's being said. Many believe that the Bible is obsolete or secondary to defining and directing how we are to live our lives. But in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 2 through 5, it says, Preach the word. Be instant in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and doctrine. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lust shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. And they shall turn away their ears from the truth that shall be turned unto fables. But watch thou in all things, endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist, make full proof of thy ministry. Brethren, we have to preach the Word whether people want to hear that Word or not. We have to preach that Word whether God's people want to hear that message or not. And we see in the Old Testament where prophecies or prophets were sometimes punished, abused, whatever you want to call it, they were persecuted because they stood up and said what God told them to say. And we see, even I mentioned one this morning, Stephen, who stood up and preached what needed to be taught in Acts chapter 7. And as a result of that, what did they do? They gnashed on him with their teeth and then took him out and tried to stone him to death. And they did. People don't always want to hear the truth. They would rather hear something that makes them feel good. How many times have you heard someone say, I would rather hear a positive sermon than a negative sermon. You know what my answer is to that? Is you know what? Sometimes those negative sermons really are positive. Because sometimes we need to change. And Jesus talked about a lot of negative things in our thinking, but it was positive because He's trying to warn us. Hell may sound like a negative subject. Sin may sound like a negative subject. But it's positive in the fact that if you're involved with sin, hell's going to be where you're going. And people need to hear that. The distinctive marks of New Testament Christians is minimized and ridiculed and rejected today. In 2 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 17, Wherefore come ye out from among them, and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you. Brethren, there are people that don't want to hear the truth. And there are people in the Lord's church that don't always want to hear the truth either. And how sad that is. We need bold, definitive preaching. Opposed, and those that oppose that and, and refuse to hear that do not have God with them. As Jeremiah said, some love to have it so. They don't want to hear the tough news of God's Word. Yet inspired Scripture, which we call the Bible, continues to be sufficient to meet every need that we have as God's people. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17, it says all Scripture is given by the inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished 
and do all good works. God has given us what we need to be complete. That's what that word means there when it says that we may be perfect, complete, mature. God's given us everything that we need to be what God wants us to be. Now think about that. The Creator of the universe has told you and I what we need to do. How do we know that? From that book. Is that book important? It most certainly is. You see, the Bible is sufficient in its origin. By that I mean where it came from. It came from God. As it tells us here in that verse, that it came by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, or the inspiration of God. It came from God Himself. In fact, in 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 20 and 21, knowing this first that no prophecy of the Spirit or the Scripture is of any private interpretation. For the prophecy came not in old times by the will of men, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. They wrote what we are to hear. They wrote what they were to hear at that particular time. And that is to be passed on to us today. God's Word is still sufficient. God's Word is still all that we need. And we realize that it did come from God. That it was verbally and completely inspired. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 10-13, through 13, "...but God hath revealed them unto us by His Spirit." For the Spirit searcheth all things, yea, the deep things of God. For what, man, for, for what man knoweth the things of a man, save the spirit of a man which is in him? Even so the things of God knoweth no man but the Spirit of God. How could we know what God wants us to know until God tells us? And He has told us. The Holy Spirit inspired men to write the Scripture. And we have that Scripture today. In verse 12 of that, that reading, Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit which is of God, that we may know the things that are freely given to us of God. God has given it to us. That is part of His grace showing us what the Bible is, giving us that Word so that you and I can know. We don't have to be always wondering. You know, I've always said, as a Christian, we should know whether or not we're saved. We shouldn't have to walk around saying, well, I hope I am. I think I am. I wish to be. The Scripture tells us that these things are written so I can know that I have eternal life. Do you know you have eternal life? We can look in the Old Testament and we know that the Old Testament was inspired. We also know that the New Testament was inspired. Why? Because it's included in all Scripture. And we see that Jesus quoted some of the Old Testament prophets as He was dealing with people in His everyday life. We see that things were fulfilled and He called that to people's attention. What had been written hundreds of years before. Which shows us that those prophets weren't just making it up. But it was something that was going to happen, and it did. So we must have superior regard for what the Bible says because it is the Word of God and not man's Word. Brethren, until we respect God's Word for what it is, we're going to have problems in the Lord's church. The Bible is sufficient in authority. You see, the Bible is a conduit or conduct regulating 
collection of writings. It is there to show us how we are to conduct our lives. Remember what it said in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, that it is profitable for doctrine, <clears throat> for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. So again, we see that God's Word is profitable for doctrine. Its teachings are there for a reason. The examples are there for a reason. The warnings that are there and the instruction that are given to us are there for a reason. And when we know that Jesus said, in vain do they worship Me, teaching for doctrine the commandments of men, we need to understand that we don't want to teach the doctrines of men. We don't want to teach those commandments that man comes up with. We want to teach pure, unadulterated doctrine that God has given us in His Word. And we see that it's there for reproving mistakes and wrongs in our lives and others' lives. So it's there for a reason. <clears throat> that is there for correction. It convicts us of our sin, of the error that's in our life, and it guides us into the truth. And it tells us and guides us how to rectify our sin problem in this life. Brother, without God's Word, how would we take care of our sin? How would we know what we need to do to take care of God or to take care of our sin. It's amazing that we have God's word. And we have so many different ways that people say that you can take care of your sin. Jesus made it very simple. And we see that practiced by the apostles where he taught about being uh, believing and being baptized. And he taught about uh, confessing the name of Christ before men. And he taught about repentance. And we see all of those things taught by the apostles in the book of Acts. We're not to listen to the voice of human wisdom. I find it amazing sometimes that when we go to some secular colleges and universities, and sometimes as members of the church, you come out of there not believing in God. I've seen that happen over and over and over. They get a little wisdom from the world and they think they're smarter than God. First Corinthians chapter one and verse twenty one, it says, For after that in the wisdom of God the world by wisdom knew not God, it pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. Colossians chapter 2 and verse 8. Beware lest any man spoil you through philosophies and vain deceit, after the traditions of men, after the rudiments of the world, and not after Christ. I listened to the individual that did the Golden Globes. I listened to him on a television show. And he was talking about well, he is an atheist or an agnostic. He doesn't believe in God. And his argument was that there are so many other gods that are out there and you claim that you believe in one God, so you're saying that those other gods aren't real, so therefore you, know, you reject God too. Well, that's kind of a foolish argument. But 
He went on to say, the reason why he doesn't believe in God and those types of things is because if you, for the next, you wiped out all religion, all scripture, all the, all the, the religious books and Bibles and those things, and you wiped away all science for a thousand years, where no one had any knowledge of the Bible or any knowledge of science, guess what? In that thousand years, you could reproduce all of science. But you couldn't reproduce the Bible. That was his argument. And I thought, you know, you're really kind of ignorant about the Bible. Because the Bible exposes things that man didn't know about way back in history. That some of the things that God said to use to purify people was because of germs that they didn't have knowledge of. But you could recreate everything in science. But I thought, how much science is in the Bible? But that's the logic that people use. You see, God has revealed His Word and He did it once. And I don't believe that you could wipe it out for a thousand years. I don't believe you could eliminate it for any length of time. God's Word, as long as you have that seed, will reproduce. And people have tried many times to wipe it out. But they've not been able to do so. And think of all the things that science has said is true over the course of our own lives that they've had to readjust or change or say, we weren't, we weren't right. They don't like to do that too often. But we don't need to listen to world or human wisdom, worldly wisdom, or false knowledge. As First Timothy chapter six, verses twenty and twenty-one says, "O Timothy, keep that which is committed to thy trust, avoiding profane and vain babblings, and opposition to science falsely so called, which some professing have erred concerning the faith." Grace be with thee. Amen. Notice it says. Opposition to science falsely. I remember somebody called and left a message that they didn't believe in the Bible, they believed in science. Which would imply that we don't believe in science. I think we all believe in science. I believe that there are things that you can prove. But I don't think uh, just because someone believes something that it's true. Actually, science is supposed to prove those things. And they haven't. But yet now we see that they want to take some of their theories and just say it's fact without the evidence, without the proof. God warns us about those things. We also need to realize that we're not to go beyond what is written. God's Word is there for a reason. First Corinthians chapter 4, verse 6, And these things, brethren, have I in a figure transferred to myself and to Apollos for your sakes that ye might learn in us not to think of men above that which is written, that no one of you be puffed up for one against another. In 2 John verse 9, And whosoever transgresseth and abideth not in the doctrines of Christ hath not God. He that abideth in the doctrines of Christ, he hath both the Father and the Son. 
Brother, we need to be content with God's Word. We need to realize that there's truth in God's Word, that it is from, the, it is from God. And knowing that, it should cause us to respect it and to love it and to be encouraged by it and to stand firm with it. Don't allow some false teaching or false doctrine to come into our lives or into our minds and hearts. We need to be content with what the Bible says and not to presume that God's silence means that God approves. Think about if God had to tell us everything that we could and could not do. And that when He says, use the unleavened bread and the fruit of the vine, He did not have to say, and don't use pizza or hamburger or, or a sandwich and go down the list of all the things you could not use. Could you imagine how big this book would have to be for that to happen? You see, when God specifies something, that eliminates everything else. When God said, Noah, build an ark out of gopher wood, that eliminated maple, pine, or any other kind of wood that would be available. God was specific. And so because God is silent on a subject does not mean that we can go ahead and do it. And I think that we understand in our, in our everyday lives in dealing with each other. As parents dealing with our children and dealing with each other, we realize that our silence does not mean approval. God's silence doesn't, does not mean approval also. We live under Christ's authority. <clears throat> we must put His Word into our heart. Colossians 3, verses 16 and 17, "...let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom." teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your heart to the Lord. And whatsoever ye do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by Him. We have God's Word. It should dwell in us richly. doesn't mean that we sparingly put it in our heart. But we need to have it drenched in it, if that's what you want to call it. We need to let it dwell in us. It's welcomed into our lives. That we invite it into our hearts. We need to have God's Word and His wisdom so that we can live our lives in an acceptable fashion to Him. The Bible is also sufficient in its finality. The Bible is complete and has been completely given. I encourage you to read John chapter 16, verses 12 through 15 on your own. But we find from Jude in verse 3 that that word was once delivered, or that faith was once delivered. And we should earnestly contend for that faith which was once delivered <clears throat> unto the saints. God gave it to us, and it's been delivered, and we need to pass it on to our children, to our friends, to our neighbors, to the next generation. Think about how much you know about God's Word. I've heard it said that it used to, used to be the point where if a court did not have a Bible, they could find a, a member of the church and they could bring, bring him in and, and they could lay their hand on him to take the oath that they would tell the truth because he was just as good as the Bible. Because he knew it that well. Do we know it that well? We realize that changing God's Word... <clears throat> brings condemnation. 
The Apostle Paul tells us in Galatians chapter 1, verses 6-10, through 10, I marvel that ye are so soon removed from Him that called you unto the grace of Christ unto another gospel, which is not another, but there be some that trouble you and will pervert the gospel of Christ. But though we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel unto you than that which He have preached unto you, let him be accursed. As we said before, so say I now again. If any man preach any other gospel unto you than that which ye have received, let him be accursed. For do I now persuade men or God? Or do I seek to please men? For if I yet please men, I should not be the servant of Christ. Paul repeats it twice. That though we or an angel preach on any other gospel, let him be accursed. In other words, there is no other gospel. And then I like those remarks that he makes there in verse 10. Do we now persuade God? You know, that's what a lot of people do. And sometimes we may be guilty of that ourselves, where we do something and we say, God's going to accept it. God's going to like it. We need to persuade ourselves to follow what God tells us to do. And sometimes that's hard. It's like the subject this morning of gentleness and kindness and humility. Those things don't come to us naturally. That takes work. That takes effort. It takes time. Why would anyone want to change the Word that saves us, that is incorruptible, and that lives and abides forever? Why would you want to change that? In 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 22-25, through 25, "...seeing ye have purified your souls unto obeying the truth through the Spirit unto unfeigned love of the brethren, see that ye love one another with a pure heart fervently, being born again not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible by the Word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. For all flesh is as grass, and all the glory of man as a flower of grass. The grass withereth, and the flower thereof falleth away." But the word of the Lord endureth forever, and this is a word which by the gospel is preached unto you. Did you hear that? The word of God will endure forever. It's not going to change. It's not going to change tomorrow. It's not going to change a thousand years, ten thousand years from now. It's still going to be the same. So why not accept it? You see, it is the standard that we will be judged by, and it's the standard that we need to live by here on this earth. In John chapter 12, Jesus said, The word that I have spoken, the same shall judge you in the last day. And so there's no extra source that is necessary in order to have the authority that we need. There's no source that we need to find doctrine in except the Word of God. You see, the Bible is distinctive. It is conclusive, it is definitive, it is certain, it is sure, and it is irrevocable. It cannot be changed. All men may change the text in their own way, but God's Word is still the same. I've known of people that have blotted out verses. I've known of people that have cut out verses. I've known of people that have ripped out pages. But does that change God's Word? Not at all. To turn away from the Bible is to turn away and have broken cisterns, as we can see an example of in Jeremiah chapter 2, verses 13 and chapter 17, verses 12 through 13. They made cisterns, but they were broken. They were trying to carry water when it's 
got a leaky bucket? That's what Jesus is talking about, or God was talking about back in the Old Testament in Jeremiah. <clears throat> the Bible is also sufficient in the answers that it gives. It meets all the spiritual needs that we may have. Look at Second Peter chapter one, verses three through four. We find in Second Peter chapter three and verse eighteen that we're to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. How many of us are growing as we should? We look at Romans chapter ten and verse seventeen, and we realize that that's where the evidence of faith comes. It comes from God's word. Faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. The Bible reveals to us our origins. Where did we come from? God created us. Why are we here? To serve Him. And where am I going? I'm going to one of two places. I'm going to either heaven or hell. And because I may not like this one, doesn't mean I get to change it. And because I want to go to this one, but I'm living to go to this one, doesn't mean I'm going to get to go to heaven. And so we need to think about what God's Word tells us about how we are to live. It reveals to us Jesus, the Son of God. There are many things that Jesus did that are not written in that book. But we have those things written according to John chapter 20, verses 30 and 31, that they are written that we might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing we might have life through His name. We realize that it reveals to us sin. tells us what it is and what it does. It also shows to us salvation and how that we can have our sins washed away by the blood of Christ. It talks about the unity of believers as Christians, as members of the church. We talked about that last Sunday in John chapter 17, where Jesus prayed that we would all be one as He was with His Father. That the world may see that we are one. And seeing that, what impact would that have on the world? Look out there in the religious world today and there's thousands of different denominations. What does that tell someone who, is, who wants to know the truth? You look, they, I would imagine you could look at the Bible and say, wow, you come up with thousands of different denominations from the same book. How does that happen? It doesn't happen. It happens because man injects his wisdom, his opinion, his thought, as opposed to doing what God says. We realize also in Ephesians chapter 4, beginning in verse 4 through 6, that we are to endeavor to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. That there's one body, one Spirit, one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father. It's all one. We realize from that book, God's Word, that we are to worship our Lord in spirit and in truth. We are to worship with the Spirit and the understanding. That is a reason for our worship. That is to bow down before God and praise Him for all that He has done for us. We also can read and see that the Christian graces, as we've been talking about over the last several weeks, that we can add those things to our lives. And when we do, that we will make our calling and election sure. And that we can ensure ourselves an entrance into the kingdom of God. But if we lack those things, we realize that we're blind and cannot see afar off. It tells us how to live a moral life. Not based upon what the world teaches, but based upon what God expects out of us. It tells us how to conduct our homes. 
the responsibilities of husbands and wives and children, moms and dads. You see that in Ephesians chapter 5 through chapter 6. We can see the responsibility of the local church, as we see in 1 Corinthians, the 14th chapter. Verse 33 tells us, For God is not the author of confusion, but of peace, as in all churches of the saints. So when you look out there in the religious world and you see all the confusion, it's not God's fault. It's man's fault. Sometimes it's our fault because we're not standing up and respecting the Word of God and teaching it to our children. And how many of us that are even in this room tonight, how many of us really, really believe what it says? We must maintain the distinctive plea, give me the Bible. We must learn learn what it says. We must live it in our lives. And we must lean upon it during difficult times. The road to compromise with sin and error lead to spiritual disaster. It will cause us to be lost. Trust God's Word. Put it in your heart and live by it. Tonight, if you need to respond to the invitation, you can do so. You have that opportunity. Come and have a seat up here on the front row while we stand and sing.